100 stats and ka-ching. You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts, with up to 100 times payout. What are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today, and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. Thanks for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. Well, it's a cold, spooky night here in Music City. It's finally that time of year when the cold weather's starting to creep in, and Halloween's just around the corner, and you know, there's something about this time of year that makes things seem, well, creepy. Maybe it's the Halloween season, or maybe it's just me. But, you know, Nashville does have a dark side to it, so maybe maybe this is the time when that dark side comes to light. But... You're not here to listen to me speculate about what makes Nash Vegas seem so creepy this time of year. If you listened to the last episode, then you're here to listen to part two of my series on cryptobotany. Now, last episode, I introduced you to cryptobotany in my Cryptobotany 101 class, where you learned what cryptobotany is, and you also learned about five crypto-botanical plants that like to eat animals as well as us humans. Now, those are five plants that you definitely want to stay away from. And I think maybe I just coined a term, crypto-botanical. That sounds pretty scientific, doesn't it? (laughs) I don't know. But crypto-botany is an relatively new field of gosh you know you you it's, it's hard to um say cryptozoology because there are now so many i don't know 
subcategories or, or different cryptids. It's it's hard to, you can't just say cryptozoology anymore. But anyway, we're talking about cryptobotany here. So, like I said, last episode you learned about five cryptobotanical plants that are carnivorous and dangerous. And tonight I'll be teaching Cryptobotany 102, which is nature-based cryptids. You'll be learning about five cryptids that are nature-based. And by that, I mean that these cryptids are connected to Mother Earth in some fashion or maybe even sprang forth from the Earth itself. Now, I know the idea sounds kind of far-fetched, but then again, everything that I talk about on this podcast is far-fetched. So the idea that there are creatures out there who are closely connected to or sprang from Mother Nature herself shouldn't be a big surprise to you. Now, I realize that this topic might be completely new to you. However, I ask that you just keep an open mind, listen to what I have to say, then do the research yourself. And by research, I mean do more than simply listen to this podcast or watch a YouTube video about it. Really do your research. Get down, do a deep dive. And of course, to learn more about tonight's topic, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. There's no fan mail this week. Just going to skip right into it and start talking about crypto botanical creatures or nature-based creatures. Now, last episode, we talked about five, like, man-eating plants, like things that are nature-based, things that are, that are not flesh and blood, should I say, Creatures. We talked about a cow eating tree. We talked about the devil's snare, which is a man eating carnivorous plant or or a vine. We talked about the Yatevio, which is a famous carnivorous tree in South America. We also talked about the Nari Pond which is famous in Thailand, in the jungles of Thailand. And finally, we talked about the lamb of Tartary, also known as the vegetable lamb of Tartary. In this episode, I'm going to take a little bit different twist on cryptobotany, and I'm going to talk about nature-based, actually nature-based creatures, like creatures that either are somehow connected to the planet itself, or maybe even sprang directly from Mother Nature, from the Earth. Now, why do I take these creatures and put them and lump them under the cryptobotany category? Well, go back to what I just said, because in some way, shape, form, or fashion, they are of the Earth itself. And when you're talking about botany, I know you're talking about plants and stuff like that. Well, this is these creatures are somehow from the earth 
are closely connected to the earth. They have something earth-based about them. So in my opinion, these are cryptobotanical creatures, maybe a little bit on the fringe of cryptobotany, but they're still in the umbrella of cryptobotany. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the, the Lachey. Now, the Lachey is a god of the forest and of hunting. The Lachey is a wild and malevolent entity who roams the deepest and most inaccessible backwoods of Eastern Europe. It's most often depicted as a huge and gaunt male, kind of uh, gray-colored and uh, green Colored, mixed together with a long, big, bushy beard. He's a shapeshifter, and he can take any form that he wants to as he seeks to trick the unwary traveler who walks through his forest, thereby leading them to their doom. Sometimes he's also portrayed to have horns and is surrounded by packs of bears and wolves. The, those are like wild, dangerous animals of the forest. And in a lot of accounts, he's also said to have a wife and children. And according to the legend, his wife is a cursed woman who either left or was forced to leave from her village, and she lives deep in the forest with Lashi. Their children, like their father, are mischievous, and they like to trick people. They live deep in the forest with their family. They're rarely seen. And when the Leshy, or the Leshy, I think it's pronounced Leshy. Anyway, when the Leshy takes the shape of an old man, he appears to be like this wise gentleman, this wise old man of the forest. He has tangled green hair that covers his body from head to toe, and his skin is rough like tree bark. And as he walks, he causes the wind to blow through the trees. And his blood is said to be blue, adding a tinge of that color to his skin and allowing him to disappear easily into the background of the woods. Of course, this makes him very hard to see. And most of the time, it's his voice that's heard by people in the forest. He can be heard singing, laughing, or even whistling. Now, on the rare occasions that you should spot Leshy, he can be identified really easily. While he appears like this old man that I just told you, his right ear, his eyelashes, and his eyebrows are missing. I don't know why just his right ear, but his right ear, gone, no eyelashes, no eyebrows. His head is also said to be pointed, and he doesn't wear a hat on top of his pointy head. Now, when he's, when, when you're in his, his, his forest area, his realm, his native forest, he's a giant. He can appear to be as tall as the trees. However, the moment he steps out of his forest, he shrinks in size and he becomes as small 
as a single blade of grass. A number of stories also describe Leshy as having cloven hooves and horns. And some say that he wears his shoes on the wrong feet to confuse people who are actually out there looking for him, trackers. And he doesn't cast a shadow. Leshy's capable of changing his shape and taking the form of different animals like bears and wolves. And according to beliefs of the Slavic people, he's a protector of the forest as well as the animals that live in those same forests. People who are kind to the forest spirit used to receive gifts from him. In the folk tales, the poor peasants received cattle. And in some stories, princes would seek out the guidance of the Leshy to help them find their ideal princess. Shepherds and farmers even made a pact with the Leshy in order to protect their sheep and their crops. And it was said that people who became friends with the Leshy could learn the secrets of magic. However, Leshy is also considered untrustworthy and sometimes even an evil entity who would trick women into the forest. Leshy also had a reputation for abducting children who weren't baptized and would even abduct children entering the forest to catch fish or pick berries or play. In the forest, he'll lead travelers astray to such an extent that they feel hopelessly lost. The intent of Leshy isn't always evil in these cases. He's more like a mischievous being who just enjoys, you know, tricking humans, misguiding them, taking them off of their path and getting them lost. He's even known to visit a wayside tavern, drink vodka, and lead a pack of wolves back to the forest. For people who are lost in the woods or who have offended or even annoyed Leshy, it's recommended that they try to make him laugh. Now, in order to do this, you can try tricks like taking off your clothes and getting naked, I don't know why he would laugh at that, but okay. Or wearing shoes on the wrong feet. Or that try the thing about wearing shoes on the wrong feet, like the less she is, I said just a minute ago that he does that to try to confuse people who are tracking him. The same thing can be said of us if we fear that the less she is after us, we can wear our shoes on the wrong feet in order to confuse him as well. And another way of driving away this forest monster is to recite prayers alternatively with curses. Applying salt to fire is another means of getting rid of Leshy. If you just happen to have, you know, fire making capabilities and a pocket full of salt out in the woods, you know, hey, give it a try. At times, more than one Leshy is believed to live in the forest. And according to some folk tales, these Leshen, as they are called, live in an enormous palace along with beasts and serpents of the forest. And during the winters, they hibernate in these big palaces, these big castles. However, when spring comes, the entire tribe of Leshen will go running through the woods, yelling and screaming, scaring off would-be passerbys. And in the summertime, the Leshy's most active, and most commonly that's when he plays tricks on, on us humans. However, these tricks are rarely known to, cause, hum, to uh, cause any harm to humans at this time. And during the autumn is when they tend to be more uh, 
gruesome, a little bit more uh, evil, so to speak. They look for opportunities to scare us and to fight with other creatures in the forest. And during the final cold days of the year, when the leaves start falling from the trees, the leshy disappears and he goes back into his palace to hibernate once again. Now, the leshy clearly represents a personification of the mystery and the dangers of the Slavic forest to the unwary. Silent in the winter and safer, if disorienting. In the summer, the old wizard tree man is a summation of what can befall you if you step into the forest unprepared. The leshy is kind of similar to the trolls in Scandinavia or the Wendigo of uh, Native American myth. Maybe there once was an old man of the forest, some human or creature who inhabited the dense and inaccessible wilderness of uh, Eastern Europe. Maybe somewhere in the leafy darkness, he's out there ready to snatch unwary children who venture too deep into the woods. The second creature we're talking about tonight is the Capri. The Capri is a Philippine mythical creature, and he can be characterized as a tree giant. The Capri is described as being seven to nine feet tall. He's big, black, hairy, and muscular. Capris are normally described as having a strong smell that would attract human attention. In other words, if he's in the area, you smell it, you're going to be like, what the hell is that smell? And you're going to want to investigate it. The term Capri comes from uh, an, an Arabic word, kafir, which means uh, a non-believer in Islam. And the early Arabs and the Moors used it to refer to the non-Muslim people. And the term was later brought to the Philippines by the Spanish, who had previous contact with the Moors. And some historians speculate the legend was propagated by the Spanish to prevent Filipinos from assisting any escaped African slaves they sometimes imported from Latin America. Now, the Capri itself holds a large cigar, an item which originated from the ancient Mayans of Latin America. The similar dark skin color of escaped African slaves from Latin America have caused the former to be equated with the latter. Capris are said to dwell in big trees like mangoes, bamboos, or banyan trees. Now, they're known, banyan trees are known in the Philippines as valetta. Uh, and it's also mostly seen sitting under these big trees. The Capra is said to wear the indigenous northern Philippine loincloth known as a bahag, and according to some people, often wears a belt, which gives it the ability to be invisible. In some versions, the Capra is supposed to hold a magical white stone, a little smaller uh, in size than, uh, say, a quail egg. And should any person happen to obtain this stone, the Capra will grant you wishes. I don't know how many wishes. I don't know if it's three or more. Maybe it could be two. It just says the Capri would grant them wishes. Now, Capris are believed to be omnivores, and they're believed to be nocturnal. Now, they're not necessarily considered to be evil. Unlike the Aswang of Philippine legend, it doesn't eat humans, 
or their unborn fetuses. However, it may turn vengeful when the tree that they're living in is cut down. I don't blame them. You, you come and you, you know, li- deliberately destroy my home, I'm probably going to be pretty pissed and vengeful too. Capris may make contact with people to offer friendship or if it's attracted to a, to a woman, it may make contact with them to uh, try to uh, gain the advances of the woman. If a capri befriends any human, especially because of love, it will consistently follow this love interest throughout life. Also, if one is a friend of the capri, then that person, that friend, will have the ability to see it. And if you sit on it, then other people will be able to see the capri too. Now, they're also said to play pranks on people, frequently making travelers become disoriented and lose their way in the mountains or the woods. And they're also believed to have the ability to confuse people, even in their own familiar surroundings. For instance, someone who forgets that they're in their own garden or home is said to have been tricked by a Capri. Reports of experiencing Capri enchantment include that of... uh, witnessing rustling tree branches, even if the wind's supposedly not strong or not even blowing at all. Some more examples would be hearing loud laughter coming from an unseen being, witnessing lots of smoke from the top of a tree, seeing big big red glaring eyes during the nighttime from a tree, as well as actually seeing a Capri walking in the forest areas. It's also believed that abundant fireflies in woody areas are embers from the Capra's lit cigar or tobacco pipe. So Capra's are weird, invisible, giant, Sasquatch-looking creatures who like to smoke cigars and befriend humans and even sometimes mate with humans. Sounds a lot like the American Sasquatch, except for the uh, smoking tobacco type deal. I mean, think think about it. The American Sasquatch is big, hairy. Sometimes they're black-haired. Sometimes they're brown-haired. They're muscular creatures, just like the Capri is described. Sometimes, if you believe the stories... Sasquatch will kidnap people. Capris aren't necessarily known to kidnap people, but they do like to befriend humans. So maybe kidnapping people is Sasquatch's way of saying, hey, I like you. And Capris are also very hard to see. So are Sasquatch. So it's a very, very Sasquatch-sounding type creature to me, except this is in the Philippines and not here in the United States. Something to chew on. The third creature I want to talk about is the cactus cat. Now, the scientific name for this, and yes, there is a scientific name. And I'm going to try this. You know how I slaughter names. 
Here we go. <laughs> Catafinillus inebrius. That's the scientific name for the cactus cat. This is a mythical creature and pretty fearsome that's been reported in the American Southwest. It's described as a bobcat-like animal with thorn-like fur, sharp bones protruding from its front legs, and a branched tail. The cactus cat has been sighted in the southwestern desert in states like uh, California, Nevada, and New Mexico, with even a few sightings thrown there in, up in Colorado. Cowboys and pioneers in the 19th century made up tales about these strange beasts coming out at night and slashing open cacti and exposing the sap. And sometimes the creature was said to drink the fermented juice from the cactus. This caused the cats to enter like an intoxicated state, stumbling around, sometimes attacking travelers, which is where the Cactophanelius inebrius comes from. Drunken cat, right? Attacks by these cactus cats, though considered rare, did happen from time to time with many frontiersmen waking up to find welts on their body from the cat's bobbed, barbed tail. Now, despite these attacks, the cactus cat wasn't considered an aggressive type creature unless you were a cactus. The cat was also known to have a unique and haunting whale that could be heard at night through the darkened desert along the dry sound of its bones rubbing together. That sounds gross. The story of the cactus cat's probably fueled by numerous cases of misidentification, most likely that of a bobcat, a mountain lion, or even a porcupine. The cat's whale may also have been that of a puma. It's also likely that the cactus cat was never really something that existed in the first place. And Like most fearsome critters, it's just the product of a few bored woodsmen on a warm desert night. This moves us along to the fourth cryptobotanical creature, the Moss Man. The thick swamps of Florida can be a spooky place to say the least. There are tangles of cypress trees, vines, and brush clouded with mosquitoes and infested by all manner of insects and snakes, the murky, muddy waters prowled by alligators lying in wait for the unwary. It's just a scary place. It's a nasty place. And when the sun goes down, the swamp itself seems to come alive with sounds not always immediately identifiable. This symphony of the night, punctuated with shrieks and squalls and squawks from unknown sources, casting this place further into an eerie ambiance that invites tales of strange monsters prowling in its darkest recesses. One of these is supposedly a hulking thing that wades through the waters and crashes through all in its path, a glowing-eyed beast known only as the Moss Man. The creature in question gets its strange name from its rather unique appearance. Humanoid, bipedal, and somewhat ape-like in appearance and standing tall around seven feet. 
it may at first sound like a hairy hominid like Bigfoot, but the odd details make it even stranger. The Moss Man earns its unusual name from the copious foliage and grass that seems to either grow on it or to be intertwined and entangled within its hair, making it have a green hue to it and helping to camouflage it nearly perfectly with some of the sightings saying that it was at first mistaken for an overgrown tree or a log before it suddenly stood up to walk off through the swamp. The eyes of the moss man are also said to glow an amber or reddish hue, with some reports even claiming that they have an almost hypnotic quality to them. According to some local lore, the moss man had allegedly been encountered in these wetland wildernesses since at least the 1800s. One such report from this era is that a, quote, large man-like beast with a rank odor and covered with swamp grass have been terrorizing the swamps in the area of Clay County and raiding rabbit pens and the livestock of residents, prompting a local sheriff called Sheriff Peeler to organize an armed posse of men expressly for the purpose of hunting it down. They apparently spent several weeks slogging through the muck, dodging alligators and venomous snakes in search of the creature, all without success. Other strange reports of the time uh, sometimes described fishermen as being menaced or even downright, outright attacked by an ape-like brute with leaves and branches all over it. Another even earlier legend might have sprung from the presence of the creature. According to this particular tale, all the way back in the 1500s, Spanish conquistadors supposedly raped, killed, and beheaded a local native girl, subsequently tying her dismembered head to a tree and greatly angering her tribe, as one can expect. Their most powerful medicine man, then used his magic to call upon the spirits of the swamp to seek out vengeance, after which the girl's head grew to be a part of the wilderness and take on a human form of weeds and branches and other vegetation, going on to hunt down any Spaniards she could find. In some versions of the story, a witch doctor in later years created his own, like, golem, of foliage to keep the Spanish away. And when this threat was gone, it went off to continue to prowl the swamps to this very day. Now, while these reports and legends are interesting, the Moss Man truly made its debut in the public consciousness in 1978. In 1978, a couple claimed they had been taking just a leisurely stroll along a beach in Boca Raton, right up along the Everglades swampland, when they spotted something odd lying there on the sand by this rocky outcropping. Now, as they got nearer, they saw that it appeared to be a person in a raincoat sprawled out face down. However, when they passed it, what they had first taken to be a man stood up 
and it stared at them with just baleful, glowing set of red eyes, and they could see that this was no human being. Now, the interesting detail is what they had thought was a raincoat was actually not a raincoat at all and was, in fact, what looked like a twisted mat of thick moss, grass, and leafy foliage. The couple apparently fled for their lives as it just stood there glaring at them with those fiery eyes. And when they went back later on to investigate, there was apparently some Spanish moss strewn about where the creature had been, but there was no sign of the thing itself. When this report hit the news, other people began to come out of the woodwork with their own stories of spotting a similar massive bipedal creature with moss and leaf-encrusted bodies, sometimes in the swamp and other times on the beach or even you know, uh, out in the water, especially in the vicinities of Red Reef Park, West Palm Beach, and Hillsboro Beach. The most famous of these reports comes from 1980 when an elderly couple was visiting Red Reef Park. It's a 67-acre coastal nature preserve. Now, the couple purportedly had been hiking through the area when they sighted a green object through the trees. It was sitting up on a branch. The woman approached it thinking it was some, like, you know, swamp bird or something that was perched up on this mossy tree, but the bird was no bird at all, and she realized this when it turned around and showed itself to her, and it was the moss man with its red glowing eyes. Of course, you can imagine the woman was probably pretty terrified, and apparently she had been really close to the moss man when it revealed itself to her, and she says that she genuinely feared for her life because she thought this thing was going to kill her. But the moss man turned back around and just wandered off into the wilderness. Now, there's been sporadic sightings of the moss man ever since with accounts variously describing what seems to be a flesh and blood animal or on other occasions claiming that the moss man is more ghostly or demonic in nature, able to appear or disappear at will, or even to shroud itself in a cloud of mist. Considering the details of the reports, theories abound about what this thing can be. Some are more along the lines that it's some sort of Bigfoot-like creature, either covered with vegetation that has grown on it or intentionally covering itself with the stuff as a form of camouflage to allow it to blend into its environment. Other more far-out ideas is that this is some uh, kind of humanoid plant, a forest spirit, or an interdimensional entity, or even a demon, an alien, or an avatar of the swamp itself taking on humanoid form. More rational explanations are that it's merely a trick of the light on trees, someone like a hunter and a ghillie suit, or even that it's just pure myth and urban legend and bunk. So what is this thing? Whatever it may be, the legend of the mysterious Mothman lives on to this very day. And 
I highly, highly doubt it is a demon or an alien. Now, if you'll notice the description of a lot of these creatures that I'm talking about are very similar to Sasquatch. And they have a lot of characteristics that are similar to Sasquatch. And one of the things, one of the theories about Sasquatch is that it's an interdimensional entity, an interdimensional being, or that it's even an alien. Because there are a lot of times when uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot sightings, are they coincide with the sightings of UFOs. Now, I don't personally happen to be one of those people that thinks that Sasquatch is an alien being or a pet, some alien creature, you know, alien pet that got let loose on this planet or something like that. I don't believe that. I don't think that's interdimensional being either. But there are lots and lots of, um, there's lots of evidence out there uh, for the interdimensional aspect of Sasquatch. And I would believe that before I would believe that Sasquatch is uh, an alien or an alien pet or something like that. Uh, but it, we're not talking about Sasquatch here, right? We're talking about the moss, the moss man and other various creatures that are very similar to Sasquatch. So could they be cousins? Could this moss man thing be a cousin of Sasquatch? Or could it actually be Sasquatch himself? Absolutely I do believe that um, that Sasquatch is. It, I don't think that the American version. Okay, I think that there's a a version of Sasquatch, just like there are different races of humans. There are different races of Sasquatch, different nationalities. Maybe that would be a, a better uh, way to de- describe instead of race. I think different nationalities. Because it seems like each continent has its own version of a Bigfoot. So, you know, maybe this is just uh, a... Now, I know this is the Moss Man is in here here in the United States, but maybe this is uh, some sort of Sasquatch cousin or something like that. Anyway, just things to speculate about. I always urge you to not only keep an open mind, but to do your own research. And last but not least, I'm going to be talking about the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Now, the Honey Island Swamp Monster is a humanoid cryptid that's reported to have been seen in and around the Honey Island Swamp area of Louisiana since 1963. It was first reported in 63 when two hunters spotted this creature prowling the swamps, and its tracks indicate three-toed webbed feet. Now, it's possible that a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it, evolved webbed feet to better suit the swampy environment, and some even believe that it's some sort of like experiment, some sort of government experiment gone awry. The creature is also featured on an episode of The Lost Tapes where it attacked a hunter who ultimately did not die and survived the attack. The attack. Uh, it's also featured in the show uh, Cryptids, The Swamp Beast, which I think was on 
History Channel, I think. Don't don't uh, don't quote me on that. Anyway, as I said, Honey Island Swamp Monster was first sighted in 1963, and that's when uh, Harlan Ford and his friend Billy Mills were searching for an abandoned cabin that was supposedly had been uh, spotted by Ford when he was flying in a plane. And this cabin was somewhere deep in the Honey Island Swamp. Now, the two guys had reached a clearing when they spotted this creature who kept eye contact with them for just a moment before he turned around and escaped into the underbrush. Now, Harlan Ford said the following about the creature. It's a very short quote. And he said, quote, It was nothing like I'd ever seen before, ugly and sinister looking like something out of a horror movie. Now, you go forward 11 years to 1974, Ford and Mills go back to this area on a duck hunting trip, and the two found several dead boars with their throats torn out along the way to their clearing. Now, they realized that the boars were too far from the water to, in- to have been killed by an alligator, so they began to suspect the monster that they had encountered uh, back in 63. This, their suspicion was confirmed when they found footprints, three-toed webbed footprints around one of the boars. And rather than have a second run-in with the Honey Island Swamp Monster, they turned around and beat feet got the hell out of there. And later that night, they came back, though, to make a cast of the prints. Now, there was another man named Ted Williams who claimed to have seen the creature several times himself, and he even thinks they, there are multiple Honey Island Swamp Monsters. He says that he could have killed him, but he didn't because they didn't seem to want to harm him. And one day, Williams took his boat in the swamp to set out some tra- trout lines and was never seen again. Now, Could that be coincidence? Absolutely. Does it mean that the Honey Island Swamp Monsters got him and they really did want to harm him? Don't really know. It's probably a coincidence. But it's real funny that this guy claimed to have seen multiple Honey Island Swamp Monsters, had an opportunity to kill one or more of them, and didn't, and then mysteriously disappears, vanishes without a trace. So, Just what do these things look like? Well, they stand over seven and a half feet tall. They're estimated to weigh between four and five hundred or more pounds. This Honey Island Swamp Monster, also called a Louisiana Wookiee, is said to be covered in a thick coat of matted gray or brown hair and swamp weed. It has yellow eyes that look kind of reptilian, so they say. And it has a horrible smell that has been likened to the stench of death. Whatever death smells like, it's hard to describe. I have smelled death many times in my life, and I cannot describe it to you. It's that indescribable. Anyway, 
this primitive creature has long been blamed for the death of livestock and the mysterious disappearances of children in the area. Popular lore in the region is that the Honey Island Swamp Monster might be a product of a union between a chimpanzee and an alligator. And that's just laughable. It's hilariously preposterous. But that's part of the local lore is that somehow a chimpanzee, how the hell a chimpanzee got in the, the swamps, I don't know, but somehow a chimpanzee was in the swamps, saw this alligator, the alligator saw the chimpanzee, and instead of having it as a nice tasty snack, the chimpanzee and the alligator were like, oh yeah, I got to have me some of that. And they they did it and produced the Honey Highland Swamp Monster. Don't know which one was the male, which one was the female. Uh, wouldn't it be something if... Uh, the alligator was the female, the chimpanzee was the male half, and, you know, alligators, uh, they lay eggs, right, because it's a reptile. So the Honey Island Swamp Monster was born from an alligator egg. Boy, that would be something. I, I like that. That sounds like something that would be make for a, a horrible B-movie. God, I wish I had an unlimited source of of income so I could make that movie. Can you imagine? That would be an awesome movie to make. It would probably be horrible, but it would be an awesomely horrible movie. God, if anyone's listening to this podcast and has, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars that you'd like to throw away and not get a return on your investment, please get in touch with me. Sandmanapairreality.com and we will make a movie. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, in the darkly primordial swamplands that must look the same now as it did thousands of years ago, the existence of almost any creature seems possible except for the offspring of a chimpanzee and an alligator. <laughs> no matter how ominous it is. And one of the strangest legends, as if uh, as if <laughs> a chimpanzee and an alligator mating wasn't strange enough, one of the strangest legends surrounding the Honey Island Swamp Monster revolves around a train wreck, go figure, which allegedly occurred near the Pearl River in the early part of the 20th century. And according to this legend, the train was full of exotic animals from a traveling circus which fled into the swamps after the train derailed. While most of the creatures perished in the harsh swampland, a legend goes on to tell us that a troop of chimpanzees managed to survive and even went as far to interbreed with alligators, and the result was this strange colony of reptilian-like mammals. However, this is as we know, impossible, uh, and not only just <sighs> preposterous, but it's impossible because monkeys and alligators can't interbreed, okay? So <sighs> it's just it's just crazy stupid. So like I said, if you are listening to this podcast and you have 
a few hundred thousand dollars that you just want to throw away and you want to make a movie, please get in touch with me and we'll make us a movie. So as I said, uh, one of the things that kind of links this Honey Island Swamp Monster to other cryptids that I've talked about, cryptobotanical creatures that I've talked about tonight, is that it allegedly has this foul odor to it. So you're looking at one more possible link to Bigfoot. It's hard to deny the similarities, but um, we are talking about a creature that lives in the swamps, and the swamps itself, if you've never been in a swamp, they stink anyway. So any creature that lives in the swamp is probably going to smell. So I think the fact that this thing uh, lives in a swamp, it kind of precludes it to having a foul body odor just naturally. It's still, it's hard to deny that the Honey Island Swamp Monster doesn't have some similarities to Sasquatch, this big, hairy creature that's scary and has a foul odor. A lot of you, if if you know anything about Bigfoot, you know it's a big, hairy creature and um, most times people describe having there's this foul odor in the area whenever a Sasquatch is around. As a matter of fact, most oftentimes people smell Bigfoot way before they see him. And sometimes they, or most of the time, they just smell him and don't see him at all. So, you know, maybe Bigfoot stinks naturally. And maybe this is a swamp Bigfoot. I don't know. Um, I tend to put this in a little bit of a different category just simply because it comes from the swamp and it has all of this moss and, and swamp stuff attached to it. Uh, it could just be because it has a lot of hair and the stuff gets tangled up in the hair. That's logical. But uh, I tend to, to, to be more on the side that it is a more of a nature-based creature. If you'll, if you'll kind of think about it, the Honey Island Swamp Monster and the number four on my list, the Moss Man, they kind of are similar to uh, the uh, comic book slash movie character Swamp Thing. And I, I don't know, I haven't done any research on the background behind uh Swamp Thing, like who came up with the idea of Swamp Thing? You know, what did they base this creature on? Uh, I think Swamp Thing is a DC Comics character. Um, uh, I know that Marvel Comics has their own version, and it's called Man Thing. Um, maybe one or both of these could be based on Moss Man or the Honey Island Swamp Monster. I don't know. That's something I have to look up on the background of that. That's very interesting. I didn't think about that until now as I was just talking about this with myself and with you. It just kind of popped into my head. 
So if, hey, if you're listening to this and you have any uh, background on the Swamp Thing character or the Man Thing character and uh, you want to, you know, you want to tell me about it, email me, sandman at parareality.com, um, and let me know. Uh, otherwise, d- you know, do your own research or whatever. You find something, email me, let me know what you find out. I'm going to do some some research on, on Swamp Thing and, and try to find out how they came up with the idea of this. So, once again, I, I digress. Now, way back in June of 2008, on Season 5 of this podcast, I interviewed a lady by the name of Dana Holyfield, and she's the granddaughter to the legendary swamp monster hunter Harlan Ford. She produced and starred in a documentary called Encounters with the Honey Island Swamp Monster. She sent me a copy of that movie, and it's well done and quite interesting, really. It's available on Amazon Prime, so if you want to learn more about it, you can watch the documentary there. Now, I've also got a link to my 2008 interview with Dana on uh, my website, parareality.com. There on the homepage, you can hear her interview just by clicking on that link. Uh, It's a great interview that I did with her all the way back in 2008. Uh, And, you know, the the documentary that uh, that she did was actually a really well-done documentary, and she damn near, I think, damn near captured the Honey Island Swamp Monster on camera. Um, I was very, I, I was not expecting much out of that documentary, I will be honest, and when I watched it, after she sent it to me, I was very impressed with uh, the quality and with what they captured. Um, so if you happen to have Amazon Prime, um, you it's called Encounters with the Honey Island Swamp Monster. If you have Amazon Prime, look it up. You can watch it there. Uh, you can probably even order your own copy of it uh, off of Amazon uh, if, if you so happen to want a copy of it. Uh, you can get it, but um, I know physical media isn't something that people are into a lot these days. I am. I like to own DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. But yeah, if you if you have Amazon Prime, if you're a Prime member, look up Encounters with the Honey Island Swamp Monster by Dana Holyfield. I recommend it. it's a pretty good documentary. And with that, it ends tonight's episode. So as you can see, cryptids are way more complicated than what you see on the surface. While such creatures as Bigfoot and the Chupacabra garner mainstream attention, the lesser-known creatures, like the ones that I've talked about tonight, are just as interesting and maybe even a little more mysterious. But that may be simply because there hasn't been as much research done on them. It's my belief, after doing so much research about cryptids, that, well, it's my belief that cryptids can be broken down into four categories. The first are land cryptids, like the aforementioned Bigfoot and Chupacabra. The second are water cryptids, like 
the Loch Ness Monster, and Champ. The third are air cryptids, like the Thunderbird. And the fourth are botanic cryptids, like the ones I've talked about over the last two episodes. So maybe we need to come up with a new, more all-encompassing term to replace cryptozoology with, something that takes into account all four of these categories. Now, I'm not sure what that term would be at the moment, but if you give me some time to think about it, I'll come up with something. And, and I'm kind of leaning towards cryptobiology because biology has to do, as far as I'm concerned, with all living things. So maybe we can replace cryptozoology with cryptobiology and include all of these four categories that I just mentioned, land, water, air, and botanics. What do you think? Am I onto something here? Do you have a suggestion for the term to replace cryptozoology with? Do you like what I'm saying, cryptobiology? Or do you have another category that you think need to be added to what I just said? Should there be five, six categories? I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Email me, sandman at parareality.com, and let me know what you think. Well, that about does it for tonight's episode of Parareality. Thank you for listening. I hope that you learned something, got a little bit of info out of it about these crypto-botanic creatures. If you haven't checked out the prior episode of Parareality, where I talk about actual crypto-botanics with the plants, I suggest that you uh, turn on, tune in, and find out to that episode. Five plants that are carnivorous. Maybe they'll even eat you. Definitely should stay away from them. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Pear Reality. If you want to leave a comment about it or anything else about the podcast, let, let me tell you how you can get in touch with me because there are a few different ways, and here they are. The best, easiest way get in touch with me is to email me. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. You can also find me on my social media accounts. First of all, there's Facebook. You can look me up at facebook.com slash sandman.parareality, or you can just do a search for Parareality on Facebook there. You can uh, post a message on my wall, or you can send me a DM, slide right into those DMs right there on Facebook. And if you have a Twitter or an Instagram account, you can follow me on both of those. My handle is at Radio. That's at Radio on Instagram and Twitter. You can slide right into my DMs right there. Follow me along. I post more on my Twitter than I do my Instagram account, but I've got one. And finally, you can always call the podcast at 615-692-1170. That is the hotline right here into the secret bunker, the secret bunker line, 615-692-1170. 
leave me a message on the secret bunker line. But I want you to remember this. If you decide to call and leave me a message, you are giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. I'm always looking for interesting stuff for the podcast. So if you've got a comment, question, hey, I love your podcast. Hey, you suck. Hey, I have a category for cryptobiology. Or maybe you've got an interesting story that you'd like to tell on the show. Leave me a voicemail about it. There's a three-minute time limit on that voicemail. So if you run out of time, just call back. Pick up where you left off. So those are all the ways you can find me here. You can get in touch with me here on Parareality. Let me repeat them real quick. Email sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Official Facebook page for the podcast, facebook.com slash sandman.parareality. Also, find me on my other social media accounts, Twitter and Instagram at Radio. That's at Radio, Or call me 615-692-1170. Leave me that message. Don't forget to visit parareality.com. That's the official Parareality podcast website. That's a place we can keep up with all the latest paranormal news from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news. It's called Paranews right there on the homepage. Just click on that tab. You can be taken to that page on my website. The content's updated almost daily. While you're there, shop around in the Parareality store. Watch some of the horrible videos that I have made throughout the years. And you can even find archives on parareality.com. And you can listen to just about every episode that I've done here while I've been on Spreaker. And you can even listen to other incarnations of Parareality when I was on Live 365 and when I had my terrestrial radio show on um, WRFN in Pasquo, Tennessee. I loved working for WRFN. I would love to go back and work for those guys again. Maybe I will one day. You never know. I also have some of my companion podcasts. My, my uh, um, I say companion. It's side projects. Set it off and scared to death. You can find all that content for free on the archive section of the website. That's parareality.com. Make sure you check it out. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just search for Parareality Podcast. If you've got a smart speaker, you can listen there too. If you've got any of the podcast skills on your device, just say, hey, play the Parareality Podcast. I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there too. I've got a lot of people that actually listen to the podcast off of YouTube I upload all of my audio to YouTube, and you can listen to it there. You can also look at some of the uh, great videos that I've got on there. I've got some uh, UFO and paranormal documentaries, uh, a new segment called News of the Strange that I used to do. It's also got some of those terrible videos that I've done for my uh, very short-lived web TV show, my one-man show that I tried to do that I sucked at horribly. It was terrible. Feel free to watch it and make fun of me. I don't care. It's fine. That's why it's up there for you to make fun of. So to find my Parareality YouTube channel, just go to youtube.com slash user slash Parareality1. That's the number one. 
or you can just type in Parareality YouTube on a Google search, whatever. So uh, speaking of Parareality and all the ways you can listen to me and get in contact with me and all of that good stuff, you know, you can find me, like I said, uh, wherever you get your podcast, whatever your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spreaker itself or Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to your your podcast, I ask that you uh, give me a rating, give me a favorable rating on uh, whatever platform you listen to. Um, I know this is not the best podcast that you've ever listened to in the whole entire world, uh, uh, but however, you know, getting three, four, and five star ratings uh, is a way to help this podcast uh, spread out and have more people listen to it. And that's my ultimate goal is to have as many people listening to this podcast as I possibly can. And uh, I want to continue to make it accessible to everybody. And I want good podcast ratings. And I can't do that without you guys. I can't do that unless you guys give me ratings on whatever stream you're listening on. Uh, I think Apple Podcasts is probably one of the the top ones, if not the top one. So please take a moment to give me a three, four, or five-star rating. I would really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Before I go, and thank you in advance for giving me a good rating. I really appreciate it. But before I go, you know, it's it's spooky season. And Halloween is right around the corner. So I always, every year, I always do some sort of um, Halloween celebration, some sort of special Halloween episode. Uh, in the past, I've played uh, the original uh, audio plays of uh, Dracula and Frankenstein. Well, this year, I've decided to uh, kind of up the ante a little bit, and I'm going to start on the 24th of October, which is this coming up Monday. Every day of the week, starting on the 24th, I'm going to have a special audio broadcast that can only be heard on parareality.com or on my Facebook page. So if you want to listen to these things, you better go to my website every day, check out what the the con- what the the special podcast of the day is going to be or check out the Parareality official Facebook account and I'll give you that once again parareality.com for the website and on my facebook.com it's facebook.com/sandman.parareality or just look me up on Facebook those are the only two ways you're going to be able to listen to these every day starting on Monday the 24th this coming up Monday I'll have a special audio podcast I'm going to and all the way up to Halloween where I'm going to culminate with the original broadcast of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. So day one will be W is for Werewolf, an old, old 
radio teleplay, followed by the next four days will be one episode of a radio teleplay from uh, that stars Carl Kochak, the Night Stalker. Uh, there will be four episodes of that on each day. So Monday will be W's for Werewolf. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday will be the four-part series of The Night Stalker. The next two days will be Dracula and Frankenstein, respectively, followed by War of the Worlds, the original audio play by Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater people on Halloween night. So those are all of the special episodes I'm going to have. I'm going to start that on the 24th this coming up Monday. The only way, once again, to hear all of these special broadcasts is to either go to parareality.com or go to my official Facebook page, sandman.parareality. Those are the only ways that you're going to be able to hear those special episodes. I may even tweet out or throw an Instagram uh, out there about them, but the two main ways you can be guaranteed to hear about it, parareality.com or sandman.parareality on Facebook. So those are my Halloween specials. Make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. Really excited to be bringing those to you. And the next episode, the next regular episode, should I say, of Pair Reality will drop on November the 4th, Friday, November the 4th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So please make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope that this podcast opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, a great Halloween, a great weekend, and I'll see you again on Friday, November the 4th. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.